Hello, universe. Oh my god. First of all, I didn't really expect this podcast to be taken so well, but I am so overwhelmed with gratitude for all the kind words and the encouragement you guys sent. My goal for this podcast, really, in addition to what's written on the bio, is for it to be an archive of what I read and thought, to trace my ache for literature and philosophy, and to especially share my journey to wellness. And I want to, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for the appreciation and for all of your support. I know the number is not much, but it means so much to me, and I'm just so happy to tell you guys that the first episode has reached more than 100 plays and it went global. It went as far as the US, Malaysia, United Arab Emirates, Singapore, Cambodia, Norway, New Zealand, Saudi Arabia, and the UK. And I guess it is so because that's where my people are. So shout out to my friends and family all over the world. Hello, I love you and thank you. Thank you so much. Also, I am happy to announce that Padi Podcast is now available in other listening platforms via the Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, I am also on Radio Public and I think very soon on Apple Podcasts. Yay! So if anybody out there is using the platforms I mentioned, just let me know so I can send you the link. Okay, so now we head on to the second episode. Be warned, though, this is going to be quite long, but I hope you stick around. For a little bit of background, I chose this topic because I've recently read about our Miss Universe representative, Rabia Mateo. She was expressing her eagerness to locate, and I guess she was hoping to reunite with her father. Although she didn't really paint the whole picture of their father and daughter situation, I'm sensitive to this topic because we are one of those kids who grew up fatherless and it is only now after living half of my life that I found a way to fight back against the ramifications and the psychological effects of growing up in a way that's not conventional. And I want to talk about these because I know the devastating consequences. Some grow up to be successful, some don't. We turned out well, but not without personal repercussions. And if you ask me, coming from experience, growing up fatherless, the hardest part was deprivation. Deprivation which led to a lot of pent-up anger. Through the years, it was difficult to control and acknowledge that, and I guess what triggered it all the more was due to the fact that you have to forgive, even when it wasn't asked. So that part alone was exhausting and it was difficult to cope, and the hardest was to find ways to compensate for what was missing. Consequently for us, we did not only lost one, but our mother as well because we had to adapt to our situation we had to be separated to survive and so most of our childhood was painful even though some of our immediate family members tried really hard to care for us 
So for years, we had to carry both of that loss. And it's quite a challenge to a child to grow up not having pillars to lean on or to look up to or be guided by. So there was always this unquantifiable amount of anger and sadness, but as a child, I wasn't really the delinquent type. In fact, I was academically excelling in grade school, even though I've had a lot of repressive thoughts and feelings for which I struggled. I did not really show behavioral problems early on, such as defiance and rebellion, but a lot of those negative feelings came out during my adolescent years, which dragged on to adulthood. And the problem was, I came to a point of intense depression and extreme hate for everyone for everything and for every time I feel rejected, abused, and mistreated. And so the father hunger turned out to be a father anger. And in a way that created waves of emotional, psychological, and mental health problems. So the quality of my life before was mostly made up of this yearly subscription to disruptive implications and episodic bouts of self-loathing for too long I felt like I had no control of. And this was evident to a piece that I wrote about my father. And to better understand what I'm saying, please listen to this. Our Father, who art in heaven, forgive me, but this is not the Lord's prayer. I wrote to my father once that I have cancer, that I have a few months left to live, that I need to know if Fista lives in the address I found in my mother's box in the summer of 95, that he may warrant the response that this fatherless daughter has a father, that I am his that we are, that I hoped the lie about having cancer will prompt a reply and validate his existence. What a god-awful thing I might have done. But in my made-up tragedy, I wanted to break his heart. Or maybe he will admit that he has one, and that in a sense, I intended to mortify him for his desertion. Maybe. He will clasp the letter in his hands and feel an urgency to think about what he has done and what great anguish he has integrated into human lives besides my own. I wanted him to feel the dilemma between remorse and revulsion, that if he has conscience, it would occur to him the kind of disgust I would feel that it took a grave illness for him to reach out, that it required a threat of death to recall that once he had a family and daughters who were alive and that in between his state of shock and bewilderment he won't know precisely what to grieve for.
It is from my father's wrongs where my life was built. I was made from a seed I wish I wasn't. I come from a man I don't know much about. I come from a man who never cared about anyone or anything. And at each point where the phases in my life went wrong, and in my limitations, I blamed him for it. My father's wanton habit of ruining lives appalled me, and among other things, instigated my inability to forgive, including myself, for the way I was because of him, choking in my spite. And this is the reason. I have seen my father with a woman. I picked into a window too high for my height. My mother made me stand on a pot, careful not to break it and the glass covering I was trying to reach. Only a few blocks from where we live, we would pass by a red gate often. She made me go inside one afternoon it was open and left me there, like a toad mutated into a shape of a child. Inside, they must have heard something because a man went out of the house, waved his hand profusely when he saw me, careful not to come near, and just like that, be gone to the woman inside the house laughing. You would think that at an early age, that kind of memory will be consigned to oblivion. But the night he left, and that afternoon he left, held on to my brain like a leech. How strange it was that he left. There was nothing entertaining about a child being motioned to get the hell out like a pesky cat by his father in the presence of his concubine. I was four. I did not feel it then, but growing up, I was livid each time I remember. And I hated my mother for doing that, for making me watch, for making me see. And I hated her for not thinking about the devastating consequence the moment it will permeate in my mind. I have heard that my father stayed there after the separation, and that the woman I saw through the window bore a child. But it seemed the affair was also short-lived. He, too, left her for somebody else. These kind of fathers make people like me. This is how some children's lives are built ruined before they even have the chance to see what they are up against in the world. I used to tell my father was an engineer, not a womanizer, not a philandering son of a bitch. Because my mother never talks about him, and I don't remember 98% of my childhood when we were together briefly as a family, I asked my grandmother once what my father looked like. She made me stand before a mirror. Between me and my sister, she says, I inherited most from his looks. And then she put out an album kept with photographs of him. She did add that he resembled a Philippine actor, Philip Salvador. She wasn't proud in praising him for his looks. She just answered, matter-of-factly. Doubtless, she said, it's easy to fool around with a physique like he had. Tall, agile, a karate belter, artistically a painter. When it comes to women, smooth. So simply, she says, he will hold a cigarette 
and will meet your eyes with sanguine bravado. He had a lot of photographs. The albums were carefully stored in a large suitcase where my mother's belongings were kept when we moved to my grandmother's house from the bustling city of Manila and back to the idyllic provincial life after their separation. I examined the photos, trying to exhume what seemed like an oracle figure being unearthed through my own curiosity. He wasn't an engineer, probably an automobile mechanic. It looked like the only thing he was good at was fixing cars. I would look at the photographs and I'm surprised that for whatever reason, my mother didn't incinerate them to ashes. There was a time when I saw her burning a few clothes of my father and later hearing speculations from my aunts and uncles that she kept some intentionally so she can take her revenge to a witchcraft of some sort where our town is famous for. She was that mad, I suppose, to want him to wreathe in physical pain through sorcery. After all, she was pregnant with a second child when we left, to which she pretended not to know. There is something demonic about the burning ritual, but the devilry did not maim the devil. If anything, he continued bringing forth a handful of children like us. There were some I heard even before us, hapless offspring of a man wantonly out in the world to prove his virility. After us, there was more. Ears than nothing, left in the wild for survival, intentionally without remorse. Our father, a womanizer, a philandering son of a bitch. We were kids without fathers, I look back. I was outside looking at my father's possessions flying out the door. It's the last memory I have of him. A suitcase, empty cartons, clothes, cigarette packs, bed covers, probably anything that has his scent on. I remember my mother throwing everything forcefully and pushing him down the stairs. Or was it her who was striding away from his body, disgusted by his betrayal? There was no sound I could relieve, but something about what I was seeing was loud. Our neighbors knew what was happening, and I did not. It's not a simple line or color a four-year-old could fathom. And from what is, in the adult's reality, a spectacle of my parents' marital warfare, I used to think, why was this scene etched in my mind? Memories does not lie apparently, nor they disappear, and they sting on the core when they surface. It is in my head, and in the daylight when it plays, it feels like I was something else, or someone else, and not a child. Like a movie film rewinding, I remember holding a plush monkey our neighbor in the apartment handed out to me while I watched. I remember my father picking up his clothes scattered on the entryway. I remember it was getting late. I remember that it was the night my father permanently vanished 34 years ago, leaving a perplexed infantile kid with nothing but fragments of her father's deceit to think back and dig from the past. 
It is the night I go back to when people say that death is the worst to come in life. It is not. It's abandonment. In death, people stay away from their bodies. In abandonment, people stay away from you. No goodbyes, no looking back. It's a choice made with no remorse, no sense of accountability. To have someone live a life makes a lifetime of mourning. We were kids without fathers. We are not worthy. How else can people, those who are supposed to love you, leave you like you don't matter? Like you are nothing? I will never know. That was the night I last saw him. Years later, he died before we had a chance to meet. We could have had, but we did not. I thought about this before, that his effort on finding us probably was just not enough when we heard he was looking for us. But later, I realized that fate really has its own way of proving it's for the better. And I trusted that reuniting with my father wasn't meant to be. I believe it wasn't meant for us. Maybe it's to teach us girls that we are better off without selfish, futile, irresponsible, coward men lingering in our lives. And that thought was enough to comfort me. So there you go, reality is children will always be collateral damage as a result of decisions and actions of parents, to which kids who doesn't have a full grasp and understanding of the situations yet will always feel powerless. But the caveat to this I know is that our situations differ, but for whatever reasons we have, our target of concern should always be that our children will always harbor the effect of the absence of a parent or both. And it's important that we always have to consider the kind of impact it will ingrain in their lives. We cannot just continue to produce sad and angry people. It has always been scientifically proven that some of the social problems correlate to the feeling of abandonment and the deficit of emotional stability among individuals who are not properly loved at home. The bottom line is, as humans, we thrive with unconditional love, and the absence of unconditional love harms people. Through the course of my life, I am grateful for my grandmother, for my aunts who kept us under their wings, for the sacrifices that our mom did, but the relationship that we have there will be another story. I am fortunate enough to have met people who became friends and later became family, not of blood, but stronger. They have seen the darker face of the abandoned kid inside, but who's embraced me and helped me carry the extra weight bearable. The fact is, speaking from experience as a fatherless kid, we eventually grow and heal. We adapt. We fight through the trauma. 
we learn to accept and reciprocate love from someone else and establish positive associations of our own. But I know that's not without the exhausting process. I'm happy for those who's had a chance to rekindle relationships with their parents. But I feel deeply for those um, I cannot say not resilient enough. But those who just felt flat tired of struggling. And I'm saying this if you are one of them. Please, don't give up. You have the power to start changing the way you view your negative old thoughts and replace them with past positive memories. Take better care of yourself. Seek help whenever you need to. It's easier said than done, I know, but you have to trust me when I tell you you have to view your life as an opportunity and use your experience to add value to your worth. Our life should not be predetermined by the mistakes of our parents and we will grow up. We will be adding up mistakes of our own. It's painful and difficult. And I know you will always feel that black hole. But nothing, nothing stays broken if you don't want it to. On a positive note, I pray you Become someone who gives that unconditional love to yourself more importantly. And may you find people who will complement that kind of love and make that powerful feeling viable to be a motivation and inspiration to others. Have a good day, everyone. Stay safe and be well.